You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. I'm here. Aaron's here today. Uh, It's a Friday football show, but God, there's so much that happened between yesterday's end of the podcast and today, um, a lot of which has nothing to do with games that are going to get played uh, this weekend. But I do have a smell test. Um, We will do um, some Redskins beat Lions if, for those that still care. But um, I want to start off the show with this because it's the way the radio show ended today. Um, I did not see until very early this morning this list of, well, let me back up. Last night during the Thursday night game, I bet, uh, Aaron, um, I bet Indianapolis plus the three and a half. Did not talk about that on the show yesterday. That's fine. You can believe me or not believe me. Many times I've told you that I bet the wrong side, but I did bet uh, Indianapolis plus the three and a half last night um, and felt like it was the right side the entire night. You know what? I like Brissett. I like their team. Obviously, no Marlon Mack, although the other kid, you know, uh, played really well. Um, you know, really the game came down to, to T.Y. Hilton dropping a bunch of balls, you know, which would have been, dr- they were drive killers uh, in the second half. But anyway, I was watching the game and I found out last night, I don't know why I didn't know this <coughs> before, and maybe I did, but it had escaped my mind, that the NFL is has put together the 100 greatest player team of all time. Did you know this? Do you know what, that they were working on this? Uh, I had heard it before, and it kind of slipped my mind until I saw the Jim Brown thing yesterday. Exactly. That's last night. They announced on the, during the game last night that Jim Brown is the first player named to the hundred greatest player list, which they're going to reveal position group by position group. It's not just the hundred greatest players; it's the hundred greatest players with you know limitations on. Each position group. So there are going to be 10 quarterbacks on this team, 12 running backs, 10 wide receivers, 5 tight ends, 7 tackles, 7 guards, 4 centers on offense, and they break it down sort of in the same way on defense. And then they've got 2 kickers, 2 punters, 2 kick returners, and then they have 10 coaches on the team. And tonight on the NFL Network at 8 o'clock, they're going to reveal the 12 greatest running backs of all time. This is their first show. And 2 of their 10 head coaches that'll be on the list of the 10 greatest head coaches. And so um, I was sent something that I saw very early this morning on Twitter, a list of the running back finalists for this 100 greatest team that it's being put together, by the way, if you're wondering, um, there's like this, you know, they're calling it a blue ribbon panel. There's a 26 person blue ribbon blue ribbon panel. There are secret ballots, and they're voting in a similar way that you'd vote for the Hall of Fame, I guess. I don't know if there's a lot of conversation about this or not, but there are coaches like Bill Belichick and Tony Dungy and John Madden and Don Shula and Dick Vermeil, um, ex GMs like Gil Brandt and Charlie Casserly and and Bill Polian and Ron Wolf and Ernie Acorsi. Players like Dan Fouts and Ron Jaworski and Ozzie Newsom and Art Shell. Ozzie Newsom, also a great general manager. And then some writers uh, on this list as well, which include Dave Anderson. Didn't he, didn't he just pass away? I think Dave Anderson passed away. Maybe they put all this together a while ago. Boy, I hope I didn't pass Dave Anderson away. Uh, Dave Anderson uh, last year, yes, yes, last October. Okay, well, he's listed on this Blue Ribbon panel, so I guess they've been working on this for some time. Probably makes sense. Um, Judy Batista, Jarrett Bell, Rick Gosselin, Peter King is on the list, um, and a few others. And so, anyway, it says, in building the structure for the team, the organizing committee researched various commemorative team compilations done by other leagues and organizations. Ultimately, a 100-player team was decided upon, broken up with specific number of players, unranked across the following position groups, which I just sort of went through. So tonight is the debut show of this. They're going to be, it looks like, six different shows right through the holidays, um, ending December 27th. They're doing running backs and two head coaches tonight. Then it's the D-line and linebackers and another head coach, et cetera, et cetera. And they finish, by the way, the last program is the quarterbacks um, list, which will be the 10 greatest quarterbacks of, of all time. So tonight's the running backs, and somebody sent me a list of the finalists for the 12 greatest running backs in NFL history. Well, we know Jim Brown's on the list. Jim Brown, and Tommy, it's funny because Tommy mentioned this yesterday, right? Jim Brown's name came up in a conversation yesterday. I forget how. may have been when we were talking about the all-time great NBA players, 
per franchise. I forget how it came. Yeah, that sounds about right. Anyway, um, Jim Brown, for people that watch Jim Brown, and for NFL historians who didn't even see Jim Brown, this is like almost the, I, I don't know, maybe I'll think about it in another sport here in a second, but the NFL, Jim Brown is the consensus all-time greatest NFL player by every everybody. It's a consensus opinion that Jim Brown's the single greatest all-around football player in the history of the sport. You know, you don't hear that, um, you know, you've heard me say that Lawrence Taylor is the greatest defensive player I've ever seen, but that gets debated. Jerry Rice is the greatest receiver I've ever watched. Um, but not the greatest football player. In other sports, you get a debate on the greatest player of all time. It's funny how NFL people, NFL historians in particular, they're all in agreement. Jim Brown's the greatest football player in the history of the sport. So he will be one of the 12 running backs out of the list of 24 finalists, which I'm going to read that list to you right now. The 24 greatest running backs, according to this committee, in NFL history, and they're going to select 12 from this list. The list includes Marcus Allen, Jerome Bettis, Jim Brown, Earl Campbell, Earl Dutch Clark, he played in the 30s, Eric Dickerson, Tony Dorsett, Marshall Falk, Red Grange, Franco Harris, Hugh McElhaney, Lenny Moore, Marion Motley, Bronco Nagurski, Walter Payton, Adrian Peterson is the only current player on this list, and he's also the only, at this point, non-Hall of Famer. The rest of them are all Hall of Famers, but Adrian Peterson's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Barry Sanders, Gail Sayers, O.J. Simpson, Emmett Smith, Jim Taylor, Thurman Thomas, LaDainian Tomlinson, and Steve Van Buren. Missing from this list of the 24 greatest running backs of all time, uh, a list compiled by some heavyweights in the business. Uh, the list, this list will get narrowed down to the final 12 tonight. John Riggins is not on this list. Uh, I think that's outrageous because right off the top of my head, and I can't give you the old time players, but to me, Jerome Bettis, uh, Franco Harris, Thurman Thomas, and Jim Taylor are four players that are on this list that to me, Riggins would be ahead of now. On the radio show, this created a lot of debate. Had a Buffalo fan call in and go off that Thurman Thomas and Riggins, that it's not even close, that Thurman Thomas was an NFL MVP in 1991. He was a more versatile back. He's got like 3,000 more career all-purpose yards, et cetera, et cetera. Look, if we're going to get into just a numbers debate, well, then you have to include Frank Gore and Curtis Martin on this list and Edger and James on this list as well. You know, if we're going to get into to, to that kind of debate and it's just a numbers debate, um, you know, Curtis Martin is the fifth leading rusher in NFL history. All right. He has, uh, in terms of rushing yards, he's got more than 2,000 yards than uh, Thurman Thomas and more than 3,000 yards than O.J. Simpson. But it's not it just can't be in numbers. It's got to be we all watched football, we all know who we watched and in the context of their their contemporaries and and then, you know, projecting on players that we've watched since, Riggins is better than those players in my opinion. Riggins is definitely one of the 24 greatest running backs in NFL history and he's not on the list. He's not on the list. That to me is a joke. And I start to wonder whether or not, and some people had some problem with this, whether or not this is going to be, you know, a list that ends up with sort of an anti-Redskin bias. We've seen that recently. You know, we saw the poster that came out earlier earlier in the year, Aaron. I, I forget specifically what it was for. But there were 31 NFL teams listed, and the Redskins weren't. I want to say that was NFL on Fox. NFL on Fox. That's exactly what it was. There was something recently um, that came out about the Reds, uh, about the NFL and the Redskins. It was – hold on. I'm going to find it here. Um, oh, a bunch of uh, – I guess there was a poster or something of, of NFL sweatshirts. And the Reds – it had the team names on all of them. But for the Redskins, it said Washington football. You know, there's an anti-name thing. 
There's an anti-Redskin thing right now. I mentioned this earlier. I can tell you right now, my guess is the league office not happy with this organization right now. The league in general, the other 31 owners, certainly 25 of them, not happy about what's going on in D.C. right now. Storied franchise, big market team, uh, you know, a team that had a, a real significant brand. You know, this is a 32-team business. You know, each team on its own, you know, deals with its own day-to-day issues, its own P&L, etc. But a really bad franchise doesn't help the other 31 teams. And the Redskins are a really bad franchise. I, my guess is over the last decade or so, there are a lot of owners who just can't stand the Redskins and can't stand ownership and front office. But I think what we'll see on this list is I think Sammy Baugh is going to be one of the ten quarterbacks because you just heard me list all, all of the old all, all of the old timers, excuse me, that are on the running backs list. Sammy Baugh will be there. Gibbs is going to have to be one of the ten greatest coaches of all time, and I think Daryl Green will be one of the seven greatest cornerbacks of all time. He certainly should be on whatever the finalist list is. If Daryl Green isn't on, let's just say, a list of 14 finalists for the seven greatest cornerbacks in NFL history, then you know something's wrong with this list. I personally believe that the list is a bit flawed and already lacks some credibility for me. And yes, there's a bit of Homer in this, but Riggins is one of the 24 greatest running backs in NFL history. Riggins is still 19th on the all-time rushing list. Played a lot fewer, uh, many fewer games than others because he, half of his career were 14 game schedules. All right, not 16 game schedules. He is still number seven on the all time rushing touchdown list. All right, that is, he's got 104 career rushing touchdowns. All right, that is seventh on that list. Uh, to me, Rigo is is a top 24. Do I think he's, he should be on the final 12? No, I don't. I don't think he's one of the 12 greatest running backs. I mean, I can go through this list and tell you that I would take LaDainian Tomlinson over Rigo. I would take Emmett Smith over Rigo. I would take O.J. Simpson, Gail Sayers, Barry Sanders, Walter Payton. All right, that's six right there. Um, I, it's hard for me to comment on, on all the old-timers. Um Earl Campbell is seven. Jim Brown is eight. Uh, you know, Marcus Allen, you know, yeah, probably nine. You know, Tony Dorsett, probably. Um, Adrian Peterson, yeah. I mean, you know, Adrian Peterson was an NFL MVP. He's a seven-time Pro Bowler. He's a four-time All-Pro. You know, Riggins has one Pro Bowl to his credit. Now, he played in an era with great running backs, You know, during his era, you had unbelievable running backs. In his era alone, think about it. There were backs like Walter Payton, Eric Dickerson, Tony Dorsett, all Hall of Famers. You know, then there were young guys that had big years, you know, Pro Bowl kinds of years like Billy Sims and George Rogers. I mean, Regans is a better all-time back than Billy Sims and George Rogers, I'm saying. But in the NFC, when he came to the Redskins... A lot of those missed Pro Bowls were because the position was loaded with Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers, Walter Payton, Tony Dorsett, Eric Dickerson, all of whom I do not have a problem with them being on this list in front of Rigo. Rigo's a top 24 back of all time. Not a top 12 back, that's fine. It's top 24 back of all time. All right, uh, enough of that. Um, let's bring in Cooley. Uh, we'll talk some Redskins-Lions talk about the game last week because we haven't talked to him about uh, the game against the Jets, get his feelings on some of the performances there. But I wanted to actually ask you about two big NFL issues of the week. Um, First of all, the Kaepernick uh, workout last week. I wanted to get your thoughts. I spent a lot of time on the podcast, I think, on Monday talking about this. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, 30 minutes before the scheduled workout at the Falcons facility on Saturday with, you know, roughly 20 to 25 NFL teams sitting there waiting. He changes the venue. He changes the time. The place that he wanted to work out is 60 miles away. About six to seven teams showed up for that, one of which was the Washington Redskins showed up for his workout. And he um, felt like uh, he wanted media there uh, so that it would be transparent. Uh, The NFL did not want to allow media into the workout, et cetera. There was a question about the waiver that he was going to sign as well. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and then the Miles Garrett situation. 
Well, first of all, there's not media available to a regular free agent workout in any team facility. Uh, I know that he wanted media there and, and that there's a clear distrust between the Kaepernick side and, and the NFL, and they wanted to be able to show their story exactly. Um, 30 minutes before is interesting, man. And to move it as far as you moved it, I, I think you're assuming that anybody that came to Atlanta was going to go to the workout anyways. So, which I'm sure they did. It's all six of them. Well, no, there were going to be 20 to 25 in Atlanta at the Falcons facility, and then only that's six what they, to... That's what the NFL said, right? No, no, no. All the, the reporters that were there all said that there were you know that many teams that were showing up for that. Yeah, but why wouldn't you have just driven another 30 miles? You, you it, it, well, it was 60 miles, and it was... That's fine, but you would, yeah. have went, you would have went. There was enough people that had a car that had rented a car. You, you would have got in the car and went, in my opinion. If you'd already flown to Atlanta and made the trip, as a scout, your job is to go to the workout. What, are you going to call back to the GM and say, all right, move the workout, this is crap. And the GM is going to say, don't worry about it, don't go. You know, I, that, I don't know. That, no, 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 that, that's an interesting take because um, maybe just the the reaction being, well, this guy's not serious now. Like he's actually not – because a lot of people felt that way, that the reaction was – this guy's actually not serious about being back in the league. I mean, when you have an interview, most people would say, if you've got an interview for a job that you really, really, really want, you show up when they tell you to show up and at the place in which they tell you to show up, right? And so he didn't, and maybe some of those teams said, you know, this guy's not real serious, so I'm going to bag it. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe the reporters got it wrong. Maybe there were only six or seven or eight people there to begin with. But there was a lot of reporting, Cooley, that indicated that there were between 20 and 25 teams ready to watch his workout at the Falcons facility and that there were only between six and eight that showed up 60 miles away from the Falcons facility an hour and a half later. I'm just going to say that if I went to see the workout, unless my boss told me do not go now for some, some reason, that I would have went. If I flew down to Atlanta from D.C., and our, apparently the Redskins went, but if I flew to Atlanta from D.C. and I took the time to essentially take two days out of my life, I, I would just drive the 60 miles and watch that workout. I, I think I would, too. I think that's a real so, – I think that's – yeah, I, I, it, it's interesting. Like, I would like – now that you've brought this up, because I didn't think about it from this way, I'd love to find out th- th- from the teams that decided not to go why they decided not to go. Like, what was it? Re- it's inconvenient. I'm not saying that he made it convenient for them. They he inconvenienced them. But I'd like to know why they decided. You know what? We had a a, a scout down there. It wasn't even our GM and our coach. And there were later flights to get back to our game or whatever to the college game that he was going to. Um, and you know, yeah, I I think you're right. I think I. I but it's. It, I mean, you can play conspiracy theory all day. There's clearly there's clearly a lack of trust between Colin and the NFL, and and I I think that everybody understands that. But you you could play the game that they found out there was only going to be six scouts there. They moved the workout and said, well, no one came because we moved the workout. That's why people didn't come. I I don't know. Um, I thought he looked stiff. In the workout, I watched the workout. I thought he looked stiff. Oh, you did watch it. You you thought he looked stiff. Uh, okay, M- more. What else did you see? I mean, it's a quarterback's workout, so you're not going to see a whole lot. It was it was interesting because there was a lot of hype on every throw made and every catch made, and and I liked it. I mean, you got guys out there running around, shirts off, making catches down the field. He threw the ball fine, but it's a it's a workout. I I don't know what you're going to see in a quarterback's workout other than what kind of shape he's in. And I thought he looked a little stiff. Okay. But that's just me. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, the reporting, you know, that um, initially after the workout and after the two-minute speech that he gave where he didn't take any questions – um, a lot of people were saying, wow, he looks in great shape. He really made every throw. And then by the time you got to the next day, there were some anonymous quotes from some of the NFL people who were there that said, you know, he's inconsistent. He was inconsistent throwing the deep ball. Look, I want to, I want to point this out for people that don't know this. You do not think that Colin Kaepernick is capable for starting for an NFL team, right? Especially not after three years. I, you know, quarterbacks grow a ton. I, I and he could have he could have grown if he'd have continued to play. That 
obviously he had some arm strength. He had some escapability. I didn't love him in that couple years where they were in the playoffs. But, but at the same time, at, at that point, I wasn't in love with the way Russell Wilson was playing, although he, Wilson made dynamic plays. I am currently in love with the way Russell Wilson's playing. So, if you, you know, you watch quarterbacks develop over four or five years, and maybe it would have been different. But there are teams, Kevin, that could use a quarterback. You look, I look at Pittsburgh, and I say, if he's got anything, I can't imagine Mason Rudolph is, is their guy. I mean, there, there's some potential spots that he could go. Well, he's definitely but, good enough to be a backup quarterback. And, and you know, if you're going to change your style of offense and think more in sort of the way that Greg Roman thought of him in San Francisco when Roman was there, now what Roman's doing, obviously, in Baltimore – with Lamar Jackson, you know, I I liked him as a pistol dual option quarterback. I really did. He had a, he had one of the great playoff games in NFL history, rushing for 180 yards and throwing for 280 when they beat the Packers that day in 2012. Yeah, I I just don't know if I see him as a backup in this league. Well, yeah, that's because a, of, yeah, of because course. of all of that's the, right. All of the issues that that surround him, or the the one issue that that surrounds him, and you know whether it's fair or not, that teams are concerned about all of their players being asked about it, about the fans and how the fans are going to feel about it, the, the the entire situation. Now Eric Reed signed and is playing, but it isn't a quarterback, and Colin was the origins, and because it's clearly what what he's doing is is clearly an issue and no one's going to debate that but it, the, the private business entity has their own right and to to manage their business the way they want and I, I think this is what it is and that's probably why the lack of trust with Colin yeah I mean I we I think you and I have been on the same page on this for a while I mean if if he's a clear-cut starter for you you take that risk if he's a backup for you the juice ain't worth the you squeezing um, and we saw last week was a perfect example it was confirmation about what comes with Colin Kaepernick. A lot of drama, a lot of attention. And you well, know, you realize as well, if you bring him in as a backup and you're not playing well and you like your quarterback even a little bit, that there's going to be a lot of drama right. surrounding the fact of course. that you need to play Colin Kaepernick. Of course. Um, Miles Garrett, um, we obviously talked about this last week about the incident. So yesterday in his league meeting, or yesterday Adam Schefter reported about his meeting with the league, that he claimed that Mason Rudolph directed a racial slur to him, and that's what set him off in that Thursday night game where he took Mason Rudolph's helmet off his head and banged him over the head with it. The league immediately yesterday came out after the report broke. I'd be interested to to know who leaked that report. Um, Adam Schefter was the first to break it. The NFL found, and they did this quickly, found no such evidence that Mason Rudolph directed a racial slur at Miles Garrett prior to the brawl. That came out from the league immediately, and then the league upheld his six-game suspension, and he's going to have to apply for the re, uh, to the league for reinstatement next year. Uh, it's, it's six games plus any playoff games that uh, Cleveland might p- uh, play in if they do make the playoffs, which is a long shot. What do you think? I, I think the league... I think he probably had that discussion in his in his initial interview with the league, and so I think the league is very thorough, especially when it comes to those types of claims. And so they probably did the investigation well before. That's why they were so quick to respond. Is that they already had the full investigation done? Uh, I don't see Mason Rudolph saying that, but I don't know Mason Rudolph at all. I've just watched him in interviews, and I've heard people that have been around him say that he is kind of a goober, kind of a dork. I, I don't I don't envision that. It's it's horrible if anyone says it. I also don't want to say that Miles Garrett didn't think he heard something because that's also part of life is not, not denying that he thinks he heard it. I just I think it's uh, I think it's a a card that you got to be really sure on before you play. Um you know, when people, uh, people obviously, um, their default when they hear that a racial slur was hurled uh, at, at, you know, in a, in a white-black situation, they immediately, I think the default is to think the N-word, right? 
I mean, isn't that what we all think when you when you heard Miles Garrett, when you heard the report that Miles Garrett claimed that Mason Rudolph directed a racial slur, don't you automatically think N-word? But there are a lot of other options there, right? Like I'm I I'd like to know specifically what it was. Do we know what it I was? I think that would be interesting as well to know specifically what it was. It's, there's a lot of things he could have said that but don't you think most people's default is the N-word? Yeah, I think most people say that he said it. Yeah. He said the N-word. Yeah. I, I, the, I haven't made a comment on this because obviously this happened yesterday, and I never barely got to it on the radio this morning because we got into a whole other conversation, but that's for another day. But I, I, um, I don't – I've heard in the past week a lot of people come out and talk about Miles Garrett as this incredibly interesting, smart, kind person. People that aren't even affiliated with the team. I don't know if you've heard a lot of this. He is an absolute havoc wreaker on the field. And, you know, we saw what he did. But a lot of people in the in the last week have come to his defense to say what a sweet guy he is, what an interesting guy he is, what a different kind of personality he is. And I, I found that interesting. I, I'm not connecting this allegation with that. But what I would say is that my first reaction initially was, well, if this guy said this to Miles Garrett, he would have said it last Thursday night. He would have said it Friday when the suspension was levied out. He would have immediately started screaming, "This is!" I went nuts because this guy called me the N-word or this guy hurled a racial slur at me. But then after reading all the, I was thinking about all the stuff that I read about him this week, I I don't know what kind of person he is. Maybe he's been keeping this inside. Maybe it did happen. Maybe he thought he heard something that was different. But they do have a lot of these things on national TV games like Thursday night games mic'd up. Like I would think that the league would have enough sound and enough boom mics or whatever they use on the field to pick this up, because you get a lot of the national TV games, you get a lot of natural sound from a lot of mics in a lot of different places, including in players' helmets. Yeah, there. I mean, there's there's a there is a mic in the quarterback's helmet at, at all times. I think right, unless it's just the receptive end of the microphone. I, I would assume that if it if it didn't happen, that. Miles Garrett's side would have at least determined that there was no way Mason Rudolph was mic'd at the point where they were so close that Miles could tell what kind of gum Mason was chewing. Like in that one fleeting moment where Mason's looking at his helmet and the play's downfield, could you really hear what he said? And so I, if I was Miles' agent and that was what we were going to say, I would want no possibility of the NFL coming back and saying, dude, Mason Rudolph was mic'd up. Come on. You know, the, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you yeah, I do. That through, and there's any way that they could possibly determine. Has Mason Rudolph spoke about this yet? Or is that going to be today? Oh, no, no, no. He, he, he denied it. And through his attorney, okay, here's the statement from his attorney. Hold on, I'm going to find this. Um... Quote, according to, to, to ESPN, in his appeal, Miles Garrett falsely asserted that Mason Rudolph uttered a racial slur toward him prior to swinging a helmet at Mason's uncovered head in a desperate attempt to mitigate his suspension. This is a lie. The, this false allegation was never asserted by Garrett in the aftermath of the game, never suggested prior to the hearing, and conspicuously was absent in the apology published by the Browns and adopted by Garrett. Uh, the malicious use of this wild and unfounded allegation is an assault on Mason's integrity, which is far worse than the physical assault witnessed on Thursday. This is reckless and shameful. We shall have, we will have no further comment. And then the Browns, everybody in their organization backed Miles Garrett saying, this was John Dorsey, as we've consistently stated, our organizational support for Miles will continue. He is a man of high character and unquestionable integrity. He was open and honest with us about the incident from the start. He has taken accountability for his actions on Thursday night, and this situation will not define him, closed quote. Um, so it doesn't have to define him, and, and that's because of what everything 
everyone said about him over the last week. I, I think that's one of the important factors that he's got to look at moving forward is, is this he doesn't be, need to be defined by this moment. This doesn't help him, though, if it is a reckless and unfounded, untrue allegation. This is a, this is a big mistake, in my opinion. But is there any proof to any of it? How often were racial slurs hurled on the field during a game between players when you played? Never heard a white person say it. Okay. I, I just don't. I don't know, man. It's uh, it's just a frustrating situation because really it was a bad football game that should have went to a one win for the Browns and Miles Garrett's a great player. We should have moved on with just that. Um, I, I meant to also point out that Mason Rudolph, before this Miles Garrett meeting, did apologize the other day for his part in the um, yeah, in the melee that. last week. And he said, quote, and this is before the Miles Garrett stuff came out yesterday, I should have done a better job handling that situation. I have no ill will towards Miles Garrett. Great respect for his ability as a player. And I know that Miles could go back. If he could go back, he would have handled the situation uh, differently. As for my involvement last week, there's no acceptable excuse. The bottom line is I should have done a better job keeping my composure in that situation and not fall short of what I believe it means to be a Pittsburgh Steeler and a member of the NFL. All right, so that was... I don't know, maybe that was an attempt to sort of prevent Miles Garrett from going public with this allegation. I don't know. Nobody knows unless they were there or unless I'm, I'm it was Mike. I'm not going to guess at any of it. It's not worth guessing. Yeah. Let's talk Redskins. Okay, before we get to this weekend, uh, last Sunday was truly ugly. Um, obviously, you were there calling the game. Um, <laughs> the... The, the the crowd that was there was uh, sparse. Uh, Sunday, I would expect it to be even sparser or more sparse, however that's to be said. Uh, give me your take on last week. The defense, Dwayne Haskins, go. The defense first, it was not a good game for the defense. The Jets were the 31st offense in the league, uh, if not the 32nd in most categories competing very closely with us for that dead last spot in a lot of categories. They gave up a ton on the ground whenever the Jets wanted to run it. They blew five or six different coverages in that ball game. They did not keep the quarterback in the pocket, and when he got out of the pocket, they didn't plaster on guys, and so that made it tough for them when you get wide-open receivers because that quarterback has some, some talent. It's not hard to kick guys wide open. You didn't allow yourself a chance to win based on the way you played defensively. Although they did get a turnover on a dumb dumb screen pass. Yeah, terrible throw. That should have got them a little bit back into the game if they could have scored. It just wasn't good enough on defense. On the flip side of it, when it comes to the offense and and Dwayne Haskins, I thought that you start with the positives. He made some. He made some good throws on the day, and obviously we're, we're all seeing some of the good throws that he makes. He looks like when there's not pressure, he's comfortable in the pocket. He's got some good pocket movement. Clearly he's been taught that. He understands that. He'll stand in there and make a throw with pressure in his face as well. I mean, even look at the first play of the game. Go back and look at that one again. He throws a flat to AP. He takes a shot right in the chest on the first play. <laughs> a little, little love tap there. So get rid of the butterflies at least. But if there's some things that he'd want back, I think he's got to work on clearly identifying pre-snap coverages and continuing to develop into some of those post-snap decisions based on rotation. The Jets really rotated a lot of safeties in and out and played a ton of cover two, and I don't think he saw as much of the two rotations as you would like him to. He did get better, though. As As I watched it again, he got better as the game went on. And the Jets didn't stop bringing pressure. They didn't stop showing varieties of coverage. Greg Williams stayed after him. And so I think you got to give him some credit there. It, nothing was pretty. I mean, we, we can look at 25 plays, 20 plays in that game that you'd probably want back. But then when I watch it again, you know, they got they got to get better. I think he just yawned. I, I think they got to get better. <laughs> <laughs> I did, but it's not because I'm bored. It's because I'm legitimately oh, I tired. I, I, I don't care. 
No, they, it's I'm hanging on every word. It's across the board. The receivers <laughs> got to do a better job of running the routes, the landmarks they need to be to. I mean, look, look at Calvin Harmon, third and five, that he runs a hitch to four yards. Now, that's just the Trey Quinn on the interception. He goes in and out, and then he goes back in, just back in. He's just trying to get open, but, you know, that, that shouldn't have been a pick, most likely. It should have just been an incompletion. You know, a couple of the pressures, maybe some of it's more on Dwayne, but even if it's not, offensive line's got to sort and adjust better to a couple of those pressures. The back's got to sort and adjust better. You know, you'd love them to make some of the tough catches. Guys had a drop. Harmon had a drop. Almost everyone had a drop. But you'd also like a little bit more touch on some of those throws. Look, it was just not a good game. And we're a very young team offensively, and we're growing. But you you got to have some star power, and you got to have a quarterback, and, and hopefully that's what you see through the next six weeks in Dwayne Haskins. Defensively, I think there's some real issues in terms of the back end. There has been all year. You play a bunch of coverages. You blow a bunch of coverages. It'd be fixed by now if there weren't glaring issues. So that's a that's a deal you're going to have to address right now. You know, the other thing about the Haskins performance last week, the snaps were inconsistent when he was in the shotgun. He, there were a lot of low snaps. He had to bend down for the ones he got. He fumbled, He botched a couple that were low. I don't think they were his fault. You mentioned the drops. It's like... You know, he can, they can step up and help him out a little bit. Like, it wasn't – the thing that I said right after the game last week, I said this loss is not on Dwayne more than it's on anybody else. Like, there are plenty of culprits here, you know, for getting blown out, starting with the defense. But nobody really helped him out. I mean, you mentioned the drops. I mean, that guy Henches had a drop. I mean, Sims had a drop. Um, you know, they all had some drops. I, I, I'm looking for – I mean, there's a – there's a ton of that stuff. You know, I talked to you like Monday or Tuesday, and I said, does a Pro Bowl quarterback win this game? And then I look at it again, and, and I, what I said to you as well is when they get the short fields, they got to score in those short fields. You know, right. and, they, and he's got a wild incompletion to uh, who was 34? Smallwood. On, Smallwood. To Smallwood. And I'm like, that's just, you can't have, that's a choice route by Smallwood into cover two. He thinks he's going into the middle of the field. And then Smallwood drifts himself away from it. The ball is thrown where it should have been. Smallwood should have been there. Like that's, that was on Smallwood, in my opinion. It looked wildly incomplete, and it's clearly a miscommunication between two young players, but that's on Smallwood. So there's a lot of these plays that you, you don't just put on Dwayne Haskins. You put some on, they haven't developed a repertoire. Repertoire? Repertoire. Jay used to always say repertoire. But um, <laughs> he said, "No, he said repertoire, repertoire." And there's some stuff that that's got to be. So when everyone's saying Dwayne's not close yet, or what they were saying, Dwayne's not really close. The whole offense is far away. Doesn't mean they don't have some talent, but they are far away as an offense. All right, what about Detroit? Can they win this game? <laughs> this is the one they better win if they want to win. Yeah, I think they can win this game. Why? I mean, Detroit. Detroit's not great on defense. They play that New England style defense. Mm-hmm. They got a couple good players. I mean, I don't. Here's what's interesting is is how I how you see Detroit trying to play us this week and what the expectations are in the game plan. If they want to win this game because Detroit's a team that plays a lot of man coverage, single high, and they like to bring a lot of pressures. But after watching last week, I, I, I'd probably play a lot of zone if I was Detroit. Because it confuses probably, Dwayne? Because it confuses the offense. Yeah. I mean, it confuses a lot of people on there. It's not just Dwayne. It, it confuses our young receivers as well. So it, I think they're going to have to be able to beat some zone coverages and be smart and be where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there as receivers versus separate from man-to-man and... You know, it would be really helpful if they run the ball a little bit. Guys looked good last week. I thought he I did, yeah. I thought guys, I thought guys looked good. Um, so I think that they can find a way to score a couple touchdowns offensively. And, and then it's going to be on the defense. To, I don't see them scoring 30, put it that way. I, I, I think they get to 21, 22, 23, something like that. I don't know if I quite give it 24. <laughs> But defensively, they're going to have to make some plays this week. They're just, they're just going to have to. They're better than they're playing. 
they're better than that. So, yeah, if the defense steps up against a backup quarterback, who's not a terrible player, and, and some good receivers, they do have some good receivers. You know, you, that, uh, you, I think you got a chance. Yeah, they do. I mean, Galladay, Marvin Jones, and, and the, the, the kid from Iowa, the tight end, Hawkinson. What did he look like to you on tape? Did he look like you? No, he looks like a young player in this league right now. I, he's been on my fantasy team all, all year. I can't even play him, man. He's not making any plays. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> you, you just made me look something up because, you know, there were a lot of people that were like, why did Wendell Smallwood get the most snaps last week of any of the Redskins running backs? Well, you know, he's 25 years old. And if Chris Thompson's not going to be back next year, you may think about if you like Smallwood enough – re-signing Smallwood to be with Geis moving forward if Peterson ends up somewhere we, else. you got to remember that Bryce Love's on this roster. And Bryce well. Love's on the roster, too. Of, I love Love. A lot of expectations. Yeah, yeah I love Love, too. Look, I, I heard Bill's press conference, and Bill said, you know, Kevin had a lot of packages for Smallwood in the passing game. And that like, okay. <laughs> I guess. But, no, so it was Kevin's Kevin fault. Why did why he play Kevin, did it? <laughs> um... Oh Jesus! But I think the real thing with Smallwood was they this guy's first game back, and so you do you do want to manage the workload a little bit for guys and and get him going into it in in his first game. And Adrian Peterson is getting it's you can tell that he's wearing down a little bit in the season as as it's gone on. And so essentially, I think Smallwood was was their healthiest back up that week. Yeah, probably why he played the most. He was probably the guy that could take the most reps. It's interesting what you said about defensively because um, just for for people to understand, and I think most people do, it's pretty you know intuitive that you know if you know a team's playing man to man, I mean it's just easier. You know, it's like all right, he's covering him, he's covering him, he's covering him, and maybe they'll double cover this guy. And and just think about it like I always think about it in terms of basketball. You know, uh, people sort of understand you know, the concept of plays to beat man-to-man. When teams are playing zone, it's different. There are holes in zones, and there are places to, you know, to look and to look off of to move the zone one way or the other. You know, in basketball, you do it with ball fakes, you know, can move a zone. A quarterback can move a zone with his eyes, you know, to create the hole in the middle of the zone. But you got to recognize it as such. And a guy like Greg Williams, I would assume, does a great job of rec- uh, of disguising it. Yeah, you and you just—he did a great job of disguising it. And they, but essentially, they ended up playing probably eighty percent cover two. So yeah. at some point, and that's probably why Dwayne got better throughout the game. But you did say something, and and I I did a little video on Redskins.com of the, of the offense and some of the stuff. And one of the things I noticed and watching at the same time is especially against zone coverage, a quarterback does have so much power with his eyes. And that is, even underneath, that is one thing that Dwayne can work on, is moving some zone defenders with his eyes, knowing that they're going to drift to his first look, his first glance. Right. So look where you want them to go and throw it where they're not. Right. That is something. But that's a, that's a, that's a, it's a young quarterback. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But, I mean, if you're, if you're Detroit and you play a lot of men and you want to – outsmart somebody, man. Show them some man looks, some single high looks, and then rotate into zone and get some trap plays and some... I, that's what I would do if I was Detroit. I would, and I would personally, I think Patricia's of that Belichick tree to take advantage of what another team doesn't do well. I know they, they feel like they have to win this game, or at least that coaching staff, the way they've started this year. So I would expect some tough coverage looks. And to do that, I would expect more zone. Don't they? I mean, Darius Slay's a decent corner. It's a pretty good corner in this league. Um, offensively, real quickly for the Lions, like uh, you know, when I did sort of Redskins beat Lions if on the radio show, haven't done it here with you, but you're sort of giving us the the blueprint here. But the bottom line is the defense. Remember in August we said you know the defense will be good enough to keep them in a lot of games, which means they they could they should be able to win five or six of them because the defense will keep them in them and they'll win some of those games. Well, they haven't kept them in anything, you know, the entire year. They're without their starting quarterback, Matt Stafford, although I think Driscoll's not terrible, just personally. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, they're without their key running backs, although they called up Bo Scarborough last week. Remember, we loved him at Bama, and he got drafted in the seventh round. Last week was his first NFL game, and he looked good. 
Like I, 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 I really wonder why this dude hasn't gotten a shot before. I thought he was really talented, and he had a, a decent game last week. But really, you know, the Redskins defense. They're not playing a dynamic team offensively. They do have some receivers. Galladay's good. Jones is good. But come on. If you're going to win a football game, and I don't want them to win another football game unless Dwayne plays great, but if they're going to win another football game, how about a, a, like a, a professional performance by the defense against a team that struggles offensively? Last week, they got run over by a bad offensive team. That was embarrassing. I think that it's on the defense Sunday. Well, based on what I told you about our offense, yeah, it's <laughs> going to be on the defense yeah. for them to win ballgames. I understand it offensively. I, I completely understand it. You have Terry McLaurin, who's a rookie, Kelvin Harmon, who's a rookie, Trey Quinn, who's a second-year player, guys who's playing in his third professional game. You know, you look across the board at all our skill players, and if you're coaching it up, it doesn't just mean it's because of Dwayne. You're in day one, two, three, four at training camp with what you can run because this is what these guys can do. Sorry, they'll get better. But that's just where you're at. So, yeah, it's got to be defensively. I just The thing defensively is every time they get beat and blow coverages, they default the next week to predominantly man-to-man coverage. And then they still try to communicate man-to-man and don't pass things off. And I just don't see us as a man-to-man team. That's my, that's my problem. That's why I see this being a problem with some of their receivers. Is you better have some simple zone answers if you get beaten man-to-man early. Do the Redskins have one decent man corner? Is Dunbar a decent man corner or not? He's a decent man corner. Obviously, 24 isn't. You know, we've known that for a while. What have you seen from Moreland? Remember how much people were – you raved about him, you know, after the draft. What kind of player do you think Moreland's going to be after – you know, he's gotten a lot of snaps here. I, so, I think Moreland's done a pretty good job. He, clearly, he's gotten beat a few times in, in some of those man-to-man situations. He's got a good sense for the ball, and he's got a – he's good in transition. Uh, when he – understands and sees the leverage. He's a really good transition player, but you got to think Moreland's a guy that played outside and didn't get challenged a ton and is now having to move inside. And I don't know if I see Moreland just yet as a true nickel. So I wouldn't mind seeing Moreland outside. I, I, think, I think Aaron Colvin's a nickel. We don't see a lot of Colvin. He went in late in the last game and he played outside. Is, is that I, the I guy who's Colvin wearing – is that the guy wearing your jersey? 47. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things where if you're not going to, if your guys aren't making plays and you're one and nine, why are, I'm going to do this as a Doc Walker cameo, but why are they still playing? Yeah. Yeah. Are are we are you off of Fabian Moreau? Not that you were ever certainly on him. The organization, you know, told us they stole him in the third round because he was injured and he was a first round talent. What what's Fabian Moreau? It's hard to really d- determine anything from him, this season. I, he's he's playing nickel and inside as well, and I I I don't know if he's a nickel. I, I'd like to see Fabian move outside the rest of the year to see if he's a steal in the third round. You do now. When I say that, a nickel corner is incredibly valuable to any team. It's it's one of the most important positions on defense to have a good nickel corner. And Fabian's a bigger guy, and so I think that's why they're trusting him inside because they think he can do more inside as a bigger dude. But he, I see him as an outside corner. So I, that, that's why I would love to see him later in the season play outside and be able to know he's got sideline help where sideline help is and do what he did in college to some extent. I'm not off of him. I'm gonna but give, I don't know if I'm on him where, they're, where they've been playing him. I'm going to give you just an idea that I was thinking about the other day and tell me if this is stupid. Um, you know how much I loved Montez Sweat at Mississippi State coming out. And I haven't really seen the guy that I watched in college last year. And I'm not sure what the reason why is. But what I'd like to see is I'd like to see him right now just to see how it works out. Give him one responsibility, and that is as a third-down pass-rushing 
specialist. Your job, number 90, is you're going down into the game on third and long if we have any third and longs, and your only job is to get to the quarterback. We're giving you one responsibility, one thing to think about, and I'd like to see how he performs without having to worry about all of the other down responsibilities. Stupid or not? I think he's a better player than that, and you drafted him and traded for him. Uh, but to your point, I see him as a hand-in-the-ground, four-down defensive end, never dropping. Never, I don't want him to ever think about having to drop into coverage. I, I never want him to even think about any drops into coverage. So I, I, I think that you can one-gap him in first and second down, and let him hold the edge, and he's he's been all right as the season's progressed in the first and second down situations. But I, I I would like to see him trust himself in the rush game more. Yeah, me too. Like I want to see him be aggressive. He just seems every time I see him on passing downs, he seems to be thinking too much. Uh, you know who I've been impressed with at times this year is Ryan Anderson. Yeah, you got to figure out what you're going to do with Ryan Anderson. I think there's been times of the run game where he is impressive. He's not developed into a pass rusher at, at this point. So, look, I see this entire team as a 4-3 team. I, I I, we've had this talk a couple times, and I, I see Ryan Anderson as a great strong side outside linebacker. And I see Montez as a four-down D-end, and I see our D-tackles and John Allen and Deron Payne as one-gappers, and I see Matt on the backside of that or – or the strong side of it, two gapping to the tight end side. And I think you have linebackers inside that can play off of that. And I just see us as that. So I think you're, you're to some extent, putting guys in. Like, Deron Payton's not a nose. He's not. It's not. You're putting him in a position where it's hard for him to win right. when he can dynamically win in another spot. Um, all right. A couple of other things, and then I'll let you run. Number one, did you see the post poll? No. So the post did this big poll yesterday where they asked um, D.C. residents, all right, it was part of a big D.C. resident poll, but it's gotten a lot of attention. They asked the following question. Thinking about Washington's professional sports teams, would you say your favorite team is the Redskins, Nationals, Wizards, D.C. United, Mystics, or Capitals, or don't you prefer any of those teams? 28% said the Nationals, 13% said the Redskins. And then the Caps were at 10, the Mystics and Wizards were at 8, and D.C. United was at 6. Now, the Redskins, nine years ago in a similar poll, led the way with 34% of the vote, and coming in second then were the Wizards at 13. So they essentially were two and a half times the next closest team in a similar poll. Now they're basically you know, less than half of what the Nationals are. Obviously, the timing of the poll, they did it in early November. The Redskins are in the midst of the worst season in franchise history, and the Nationals just won the World Series. So there's a lot of that, too. And they did not poll people outside the District of Columbia. But um, it's been a big story today, late yesterday and today. I was just curious as to what, you know, what your reaction to, uh, to it was. That if the Redskins were 9-1 and one next year, they'll dominate the poll. I don't even care what that poll does. (laughs) Do you think they, so I, first of all, any poll that has, you know, like that, that has the mystics 2% less than the capitals and equal with the wizards is a bit flawed. But beyond that, here's the part of the poll that I think is something that the organization should really take seriously. And that is that from an age breakdown standpoint, Young people didn't even barely even listed the Redskins. The breakdown was as follows with age groups. Okay, it went as follows: sixty-five and older Redskins, their favorite team. Forty to sixty-four, um, it was still the Redskins, but it was weakening. And then when you got to thirty to thirty-nine year olds and eighteen to twenty-nine year olds, the Redskins were barely even mentioned. And the reason I bring this up is because. Your emotional attachment to a team typically takes place when you're younger. And that team that wins a title like the Nats did, like the Caps did, you're not going to – this is the future of our city. Now, maybe a lot of these people will move away. Who knows? I mean, it's it still tends to be a transient market. But that's the part that I think 
the organization has to understand that, you know, at some point, you know, if the Nats keep winning, the Caps keep winning, and the Redskins keep losing, those 65 and olders are going to die off, and the young people will have already emotionally attached themselves to other teams. I don't know what to say to you, Kevin. I, if they win ball games, they'll get fans back. If they do things the right way, they'll get the fans back. You have to, uh, yes, you should pay attention to that, and it is important. It, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, you can't do, you can't have the records they've had and have everything that they've had and have young people want to root. The young kids haven't even seen them win. You know, young people haven't seen them win for a long time. So I'm I think, happy for all the older fans that are still Redskins fans. I, I think if they if the Post had really gotten aggressive and said and put as an option another NFL team and the other NFL team category rated ahead ahead of the Redskins, that would have been more problematic for them. That's a better that's a better poll right there in itself. Not Wizards, not Caps, not Nationals. Look at football as what it is in itself and say, are you more of a fan of the Redskins or a fan of another team? Yeah. Uh, I tend to agree with that. Um, real quickly, on the other big NFL. Uh, by the way, I agree. If the Redskins won, I gotta go. Which, which, I love you. It's a big. It's a. I know. I just want to ask you real quickly. Who do you think wins the Cowboys Patriots game? I think the Patriots win. What about Forty ers Packers Sunday night? I think the Forty ers win that game. All right. Uh, I love you too. I'll talk to you later. Bye. See you. Chris Cooley, everybody. Uh, he's got to run. He's busy. He spent some time with us, and I appreciate it as I do every week uh, when he jumps on. MyBookie.ag, if you want to bet this weekend and you don't have a place to bet, go to MyBookie.ag. Uh, they've got great lines. They've got great uh, opportunities to bet these games. Um, you can bet in-game. You can bet straight bets, parlays, teasers, futures. If you don't have a place to bet, go to mybookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, K-E-V-I-N-D-C. It'll activate the following offer. They'll double your first deposit. Mybookie.ag, KevinDC is the promo code. Uh, Give you a chance to bet on games this weekend if you've been looking for a place to play. I caution all of you, as I do every week, uh, betting is not for the faint of heart. And ultimately, you'll probably lose, especially... Uh, if you've been following the smell test for the last few weeks. Uh, Let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell smell test. test. All right, Aaron, um, my record is now 65-63-2. At one point, I think I was 25 above 500. So it's been a rough month and a half. I'm just going to rip these games off uh, and give you a little bit of reasoning behind them. But basically, these are games that fit the criteria of the smell test. Major anti-public sides with some sharp action backing them to a certain degree. Tomorrow, West Virginia plus 5.5, short number at home against number 21 Oklahoma State, take the Mountaineers. Maryland's getting a short number at home against Nebraska, plus 5. I like the Terps. Uh, a lot of public action <clears throat> on Nebraska. Navy's laying three and a half to SMU, the 25th ranked team in the country. Take the middies uh, laying the three and a half. The midshipmen. Apparently, uh, middies is, is not what they like to be referred to, even though a lot of people do it. The midshipmen, minus three and a half. Uh, Pitt is getting just four in Blacksburg against Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech's been rolling. They've got one loss in the last seven weeks. It was a one-point loss in South Bend. To Notre Dame, the public loves Virginia Tech. I'll take Pitt plus the four. Texas Tech is favored over a ranked team, Kansas State. I'll take Texas Tech laying the two and a half. TCU's getting 18 in Norman against Oklahoma, coming off that comeback win over Baylor. Public likes Oklahoma. I think TCU's playing better. I'll take the Horned Frogs plus the 18. And I know this is degenerate city, but Hawaii in the final game of the day Laying three to a ranked team, San Diego State. If all else fails, the ultimate chase. Go all in, chasing the earlier losses with the rainbows at eleven thirty Eastern. Laying three to San Diego State. Let's go to Sunday. The Eagles are favored of this over the Seahawks. People love Seattle. 
uh, take the Eagles, lay the point. I've told you that Atlanta is going to be a really difficult team to deal with the rest of the way. They they basically shut out Carolina last week. Uh, they had them shut out through three quarters. Um, I loved Atlanta uh, or liked Atlanta last week. Uh, I don't like them this week because the public's all over them. The public now jumping on Atlanta. I'll take Tampa plus the four. I still think the Falcons are a dangerous team, but the Buccaneers fit into the sort of smell test criteria. Uh, Jacksonville plus three and a half. Um, they're, they're, they're playing a game in Tennessee. Remember the Titans beat the Chiefs the last time they played. The public's on Tennessee. Give me Jacksonville plus the three and a half. Public is taking New England laying the six and a half. Buy the half point and take the Cowboys plus the seven. I like the Bears minus six against the Giants earlier in the day. And I like the Rams plus three on Monday night against the Ravens. Repeating the smell test. West Virginia plus five and a half. Maryland plus five. Navy minus three and a half. Pitt plus four. Texas Tech minus two and a half. TCU plus 18. Hawaii minus three. Sunday, Eagles minus one, Tampa plus four, Jacksonville plus three and a half, Dallas plus six and a half by the half point, please. Chicago minus six and the Rams on Monday night plus the three. All right, uh, there you go. Uh, Have at it uh, with the smell test. Good luck with it. I'll need it too. I've gone from getting paid to owing my guy big time. (laughs) Has not been pleasant the last month plus. Um couple things real quickly. Georgetown got a win tonight. They're playing Duke. Georgetown, for those of you that didn't know this, are considered, they were considered prior to this season as a tournament team this year. You know, most of the preseason bracketologists had Georgetown in the field. They lost, they got blown out by Penn State last week in that Big Ten, Big East, Gavit game thing. Um, and it, I mean, it was not close. I mean, they lost fi- by 15 to Penn State at home. Now, Penn State, I think, is underrated. They're a good team. Lamar Stevens is a pro. Um, but they needed they need some of these non-conference wins. The Big East is good. It's going to provide plenty of opportunities with Villanova and Seton Hall and Xavier. And I'm probably forgetting somebody else in the Big East that's ranked. But they had you know they had this opportunity last night against Shaka Smart's Texas team, which was undefeated. Texas had gone to Purdue and won at Purdue in a true road game uh, a couple of weeks ago. So that was a good win for Georgetown. I actually think that they're well coached. I've said this about Patrick before. I'm impressed every time I watch them offensively. Um, I like the pace they play with. Uh, you know, they got after it a little bit more defensively last night, outscored Texas 45 to 24 in the second half. I um, thought that was. Um, Georgetown's an interesting team. Uh, I think they they certainly they haven't been to the tournament in a while now, uh, Aaron. Right? I yeah. Mean, when's the been, last time they were in the tournament? Boy, it had to have been. JT three probably had them in there. Yeah. Twenty fifteen, something like that, where they lost early to somebody, because he had a stretch there where they lost early. You know, uh, their last appearance was 2015. Who'd they lose to in that one? Was that uh, Eastern Michigan or uh, no? They beat Florida Eastern Washington and lost to Utah in the second round. Oh, that's Florida right. Gulf Coast was uh, 2013. Okay, and then they had a stretch there where they lost to NC State early yeah, as that, a higher seeded team. Yep, that was 2012 as a second round. They lost to VCU in the first VCU round. in the lost first to... round in the first four. That wasn't that a first four game. Uh, po- uh, it says first round. Okay. So. And then lost to Ohio in the first Ohio, round. not yes. Eastern Michigan. I knew it was a MAC team. Um, and then they uh, obviously the, the Florida Gulf Coast thing came as a shocker. Yeah, you know, and Florida Gulf Coast made that run to the Sweet 16 um, with that incredibly athletic team. I'll never forget that night watching that game, thinking, what, what, what were they seated? 15th was it? Was it a two fifteen or yeah, a three fourteen? Two fifteen. And I remember saying, there's no chance that a 15 seed in this tournament should be among the most athletic teams in the field, which is what Florida Gulf Coast was that particular night. And now that guy, what's his, I'm blanking on his name, the coach at Southern Cal. I used to and, play and basketball yeah. with him. What's his name? Andy Enfield? Andy Enfield. Yeah, it's really funny because the year that they beat Georgetown and got to the Sweet 16. I went down to Atlanta to do a Final Four show or two. It was like a Thursday-Friday Final Four show, and then I hung around Saturday, went to the Final Four. It was the year that it was Syracuse, Michigan, Wichita, right? Wichita was in that Final Four, and who am I forgetting? Who played in the Final? Uh, Anyway, Andy Enfield was making the rounds on Radio Row. 
And to be honest with you, when he was coaching Florida Gulf Coast, I didn't pick up on this, but he came by our table on Radio Row. And he sits down at the table, and he looks at me, and I look at him, and I'm like, I know you. And he goes, yeah. He goes, Bethesda Sport and Health. We used to play, that's where we used to, we used to play basketball against each other all the time and with each other and against each other and pickup games all the time. He was a really good uh, college basketball player at Johns Hopkins. But it's funny because as he was making his way through the tournament, I didn't recognize him on the sideline, but he came in and we sat, and this was like two minutes before the segment started. And so we did the segment and then he hung around and we, we got caught up uh, after the show. He's a really, really nice guy. He has not gotten it done at Southern Cal, really. Although they are supposedly a potential tournament team, I think, this year. I think that's right. I think he's got a decent team this year. Maryland could face them in that tournament in Orlando. Yeah, they're 5-0 and right now. They haven't really beaten much of note. They've beaten Pepperdine and Nevada. So nothing. But they do have uh, Temple today, so that'll be an interesting time. Are they getting any votes? Um I don't see them getting votes in any of the polls. Oh yeah, they are. They're getting. They've got. They're get. They each. They've got two votes each, um, in each poll. Um, but I think I've seen them on some projected tournament in some projected tournament fields. Where, wh- what is the uh, lineup for Maryland next week in Orlando? I know they play Temple on Thanksgiving morning. Who, yeah. Wh- who's A and M's in the in that field? Harvard is. Davidson is. Southern Cal is. But who, if they win, who who will they face? I don't even know what the bracket looks. Let me let me pull up like. this bracket. Yeah. Get the hiccups if you're wondering why I'm sort of. Um, so they so assuming they beat Temple, they will play the winner of Texas A and M Harvard. Okay. Harvard is very good this year. Yeah. And then on the other side of the bracket... It's USC versus Fairfield and Davidson versus Marquette. Got it. Okay. Davidson, Marquette. Uh, well, they've already beaten Fairfield. And then Southern Cal. Okay. Uh, tonight, Maryland and George Mason at Xfinity Center. Mm-hmm. Mason's 5-0. and oh. um, So that's a big one there. Um, I'm trying to think. Is there anything else we haven't touched on that we should be touching on? I mean, I'm I, I'm actually excited about this uh, this football weekend. Want to watch Penn State, Ohio State tomorrow? Ohio State's an 18 point favorite. That's a lot of points. I think I mentioned this earlier this week uh, on the show. If I didn't, there are only nine times in college football history where a uh, a tenth rank uh, a top ten team has been a double digit underdog. This is the ninth this weekend. Penn State's in the top ten. They're an eighteen and a half point underdog to uh, to uh, to Ohio Ohio State and Columbus. Um, and is it? Uh, hold on, let me just make sure I'm right about that. It's uh, two touchdowns, not double digits. It's it's the ninth time in college football history, or in the last forty years. So that's pretty much the the era of point spreads, Aaron. Um, that a team's only been favored by two touchdowns over a top ten team, um, and they're eighteen and a half point favorites. Also, the other odd line: LSU is a forty four and a half point favorite Biggest over Arkansas. Biggest SEC history. I mean, Arkansas, that, that is a fan base. They love the Razorbacks. They love the Hogs. Love their football team. And they are horrible. Terrible. All right, let's finish up with Redskins score and more. I'll give you a Redskins score prediction here to finish up the show. Time to settle the score. It's score and more. So I would lean Redskins, believe it or not, plus the three and a half. A lot of public action on, on the Lions. So it's three and a half. So I got the Lions winning the game 20 to 17. I just realized that I didn't give out a prediction at the end of the radio show because we got um, into a lot of other things. 20 to 17, Lions. The footnote, Dustin Hopkins misses a 49-yarder at the gun to force overtime. There you go. Redskins fall to 1 and 10. Uh, Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Cooley. Enjoy the weekend back on Monday.